Well, welcome. Um, I think uh, th this is interesting that we're going to be talking about this. This is the, uh, I, I thought I'd start with this. Here's a conversation that I had on Saturday. Um, uh, let's see. I got a, I got a message um, from some some from some friends of ours. You may some of you may know uh, Becky Van Leeuwen. She was running around Kirtland uh, over the weekend. Uh, actually, the Blacks were there yesterday, uh, but th they were there, and she had heard me give a talk talking about the fact that there was a a wonderful man by the name of uh, uh, Oliver um, Granger. Who was blind? Who ta was tasked the job of selling off the Kirtland Temple and everything after the saints had left? And and uh, and he and and set, there's a verse in there's a few verses in section 117 of the Doctrine and Covenants addressed to Oliver Granger. And I said I found his I found his headstone right across from the Kirtland Temple. So Becky is in Kirtland, and she says. Um, Uh, let's see. What's the name of the gravestone Kevin showed us? The man is mentioned in the Doctrine and Covenants. It says it's Oliver Granger, section 117. Uh, and, and Kim Downs, some of you know Kim Downs. It's in the graveyard next to the temple, Becky. We're here, but we can't see Granger. So he sends me a picture. I remember it being on the side closest to the temple, kind of in the middle. Isn't that right? She sends me another picture. Amazing. Um... I said, on the side, closest to the road, by the temple, uh, from, from Thankful Pratt, it's about at your 2 o'clock. She says, I'm at 4 o'clock, heading up two hours. Okay. <laughs> I said, read section 117, it's very cool. Becky sends me another picture. I can't find it, but I've got a picture of the cemetery. <laughs> Kim Down says, resurrected. <laughs> Becky says he took the headstone with him. <laughs> Where is it, Kevin? <laughs> I said, walk close to the road that runs between the temple and the cemetery. She sends me another picture. Oh, I'm by the main road. I says, it's just past the part that slopes down. Kim says, it's an upright marker. <laughs> Becky, you guys are pulling my leg. <laughs> Kim says, waiting for a picture. Becky says, what picture? There's no such person or grave here. <laughs> Kim sends her picture. The inscription faces away from the main road. So she painted There's the Oliver Granger graveyard. Okay. <laughs> Becky then says, ah, just found it. So she says, there's a picture of this one. And I says, Wahoo, you are now part of the promise in verse 12, which talks where the Lord talks about uh, his name shall be had in remembrance from generation to generation. And, and in a few, verse, in a few uh, weeks, we'll, we'll talk about Oliver Granger a little bit more. But Becky says, I almost cursed his name until I found him. What a great example he was. <laughs> So uh, I, I love that as we begin to understand a little bit more about these things, suddenly the, suddenly the history becomes alive and real. And it should because we're not talking about uh, uh, Matthew and Paul and Peter. We're talking about people that are uh, relatively close enough to us that we have their stories and their information. So that's part of what makes this so great. Um, all right. Well, that said, um, 
So now we finally, after all this time, we're going to finally move history up to uh, what Joseph has been waiting for for the longest time, and that's finally we're going to dedicate uh, the Kirtland Temple, specifically uh, back to uh, the revelation that said, Come to the Ohio, and there you will be endowed with power. We're wanting the power. And I can't send them out on missions. Uh, I haven't fulfilled my mission until I've taught these people, prepared these people, and sent them off on missions. And, but they've got to be endowed with power, and that's going to happen in the Kirtland Temple. Uh, so, so to set this up a little bit, let's hop over here to section um, 88. Because you need to know that section 88 of the Doctrine and Covenants was the blueprint for the, everything that he did in conjunction with the temple uh, in Kirtland. Yeah. Our, our sound messed up? A little big. A little big? Okay. You know, I could just, I could move this like down just a snodgen. Okay, are we good? Okay. So here's section, here's section 88. And in the middle of all of this, um, we talked a lot of, about section 88. We're going to finally go down to um, Sixty-eight. Therefore, sanctify yourselves in your mind. You become single to God. The days will come that you shall see Him, for He will unveil His face, and it shall be in His own time, in His own way. Remember the great and last promise. Now, now, what is it going to take to do that? Seventy-four. Now, I want to stop for a sec. As we start going through the preparation that it took to get ready for the Kirtland Temple, and then what happened just immediately before and after the dedication, I want to parallel that all alongside that is our own preparation to attend the temple. That in a sense, we are these people preparing to go through the temple. And what would it take to get us ready for the temple? Uh, and to be prepared as Joseph was trying to prepare these people to go through the temple. I think there's far too many times that the temple is something that we tick off the, our list once a month and we just do it and, and we're going through the temple and we're sleeping through sessions and we're just not getting what the Lord intended this to be which was a university for our spirit in addition to the work that has to be done there. Uh, so look at their preparation and then at, at points along the way we're going to talk today about our own preparation to get us ready to attend the temple. Does, does that make sense? Okay, so verse 74 I give unto you who are the first laborers in this last kingdom remember he's going back to the laborers in the vineyard thing, you are the very first ones of this the five o'clockers, you guys are here at the last day, you're going to be there uh, a commandment that ye shall assemble yourselves and organize yourself and prepare yourself and then listen what he's going to say if you're going to be ready for this great occasion and this endowment of power you're going to sanctify yourself. You're going to purify your heart. You're going to cleanse your hands and your feet before you that I may make you clean. You're going to cleanse yourself, but the real cleansing comes from Him. I will make you clean. So, 
if you do all of those things, they purify, cleanse, uh, I make you clean, that you can testify unto your Father that you are clean. Uh, now, how do, we, how do we get you ready for this? Well, 77, I give unto command you shall teach one another the doctrine of the kingdom, and this happens when? The school of the elders, the school of the prophets, that part of the teaching was getting them ready for the temple. Do you know when we were talking last week about the Hebrew class, and it was a, Joshua Satius had been contracted for seven weeks. Do you know that the last, uh, I'll tell you now, when we get back to it, I'll remind you again. The last two classes of the Hebrew class uh, happens right after the dedication of the temple and just before the endowment of power that happens on March 30th. There's about three days gap there. And in between those, the last two classes of the Hebrew class have to take place. Because Joseph sees the Hebrew class as part of preparing these guys for the endowment which is to come. So they hurry and slip in Satius on those between the, right after the dedication. They get done with that and Satius' period is done and he leaves Kirtland. But the job was to get these guys ready for this endowment. So teach each other, teach you diligently, my grace will attend you, that you may be instructed more perfectly in theory and principle and the law of the gospel, all things that pertain, okay, and uh, all things in heaven and earth, um, Abide in the liberty, you're made free. Uh, let's see. The one I wanted to get to was right. You see sick yet? There's two things that Joseph wanted to make sure happened coming into this dedicatory session that the power, the endowment might occur. Everything's got to be ready to have this endowment occur. Number one. Or after they've been cleansed and cleaned, then organize yourself, prepare in every needful thing, establish a house. A house of prayer, fasting, faith, learning, glory, a house of God. This organization included administrative organization, making sure that the, 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 quorum, of, the quorum of the Twelve was organized. The council, the high council in Missouri was organized. The High Council in Kirtland was organized. The bishopric in Kirtland was organized. The bishopric in Missouri was organized. Organize all of these guys, and then when they build the temple, there will be a place for all of these. The High Council goes here. The apostles go over here. The First Presidency goes here. The bishoprics sit over here. You know, the the organization has to be in place, and and so the place was filled with this organizational layers ready for the endowment. So organize, do all those things. Now, here's, here's the struggle, though. If you're going to have all of these guys, remember they are, they're pretty rough-hewn guys, you know. They're going to fill these positions, and they're pretty human, and they're pretty eight, 19th century people, okay? Um... Verse 121, cease from your light speeches, from your laughter, from your lustful desires, from your pride, your evil doing. 123, see that ye love one another and cease to be covetous. Learn to impart to one another as the gospel requires. Okay? Um, President Jones, let me ask you something. Uh, in the temple, 
there, there's an emphasis placed on having no untoward feelings toward other people. And even though we're doing, we're doing work for the dead, somehow there is a sense that, that our feelings towards one another could impair that. Why do you think that is? I'll put you on the spot just a little bit. Why are those feelings there? Yeah, well, wh- wh- how would that get in, get in the way of us being able to do the work in the, temp- in the temple if we're holding on to grudges, if we're, you know, we look around in the room and we don't like the person that is there? Um, why would that get in the way, do you think? Well, because it would take our thoughts away from where they should be. So we should be thinking about the people we're representing and the, and the covenants that we're making in the ordinances that we're participating. Sure. And if we're thinking about something else, it takes away from that. Absolutely. Jerry? We're told in the temple that there's the fullness of the Holy Ghost, the Spirit there. The Spirit cannot be there if there's contention or discord. So that's why our preparation before we go to the temple is so key to making sure that we are worthy of that Spirit, that we bring it with us, that we leave all of those concerns outside of the Yeah. And and we don't. I don't know if we necessarily. I think that that's well said. I, I don't think we necessarily think about our preparation going into the temple. That says, I answer. I, I went to the stake president. I answered all the questions right. I have my recommend. I'm ready to go into the temple, but I haven't spoken to my mom for ten years. <laughs> Or, or I, every time I see my sister, I just, I, 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 you know, I just hate her, you know. And, you know, in other words, I have these contentious, angry feelings. I'm ready to go to the temple, but I'm so mad at my mom that I haven't let her see my her grandkids for three years. And I'm gonna, and I'm holding on to that inside. And then, and and the Lord is saying, and if you carry those feelings in with you into the temple, what happens? It affects you and also affects those around that may have prepared and are looking for some answers to certain. That your dissonance might actually have an effect on the unity that might exist. I think so too, in a way that we don't understand. We're carrying a cloud with us that is going to impact not just us, but it impacts our work for the dead and then impacts everybody else. Yeah, Russ? One thing too, that if you're in there doing work for the dead, assuming they're going to be in the celestial kingdom someday with you. Yeah. But yet you don't want some of the people around you to be there with you. I really hope when I get to the celestial kingdom, be everybody but my sister, who I I just completely despise. (laughs) I think it'll be a great celestial kingdom as long as my dad isn't there. That would ruin it. Uh, And the temple, uh, this power that we're talking about, is the power of faith, and that faith uh, can only be exercised and expressed and be efficacious, effective, whatever the right word is. It can only be that way if we're pure in heart. Right. You know? And so as, as we are, prepare ourselves to be pure in heart with no bad feelings or anything like that, it enables us to express, I'm not saying this very well, but to express that power. 
And that power is real. It has the ability to influence nature, to move mountains, right. to do all kinds of things. But, but our faith is going to be impeded if we are not pure in heart. And part of that pure in heart is, remember, we talked, we talked last time, and, and, I'll, and I'll keep probably saying this over and over and over. The threefold mission of the Savior, to, to beat death, to heal disease, and then to, to uh, reconcile broken relationships both to the fall and then to our relationships to us and our dead and, and all those kind of things. And that healing broken relationships, when we're holding on to stuff, we are, we are negating, we are, we are refusing to allow the Savior's power on that. Yeah? The, going in with a negative attitude affects us, affects those around us, but just with an ambivalent to fall asleep, is totally negating the untapping of the power that is available for your if you're open and you're and for me that's always about asking questions and just why do we do this and what is this and let me what's this teaching me and you know it's like it being an active participant in that uh, I, I've joked before that uh, I think about the last time that uh, Cindy and I were involved as witness couple and there are certainly things you have to do as a witness couple but I was so busy asking questions and thinking about what I was just, I kept missing things. <laughs> they kept looking at me like, you messed that up, <laughs> and you messed that up. I know, but that was really cool, and then I messed that up. And I'm, I'm sure the officiator would be thinking, oh, I wish we'd ask somebody else. <laughs> oh my gosh, is this guy all over the place? Um, but, yeah. Can you ask the question from a, a different way to ask the question? You just say, um, because I keep, I start thinking about, so Heavenly Father, no, we, we are still flawed. Right, we're still flawed, right? Okay, but what you're saying, like a pure heart, make me think. Is it Heavenly Father, uh, does He want us to be temporarily perfect while we are in the temple? That, oh. But to leave the temple, we, you know, we, we, the, the feeling may be still there, but the, the suppress, would, would he accept that temporarily oh. perfection? And the, what does that mean? Boy, is that a, what a wonderful question that is. What, what, what she's saying is, we're supposed to have that purity of heart when we go to the temple. Uh, is the Lord kind of expecting us to kind of be temporarily perfect? Uh, and if, if that's the case, is the Lord accepting our, our offerings while we're there with all of our perfection? And I think He is. I mean, that's, the, the, the deal is here is that he's, we, He knows that we're not perfect. We are incredibly flawed. And if we're walking into the temple with this sense of, I, I am, I'm just flawed. I'm worthy to be here, but I'm flawed, and I need help, and my mind wanders, or I am struggling with a relationship, uh, and all those kind of things. But if we're there with a broken heart and contrite spirit, I think the same way as we are with the sacrament, we're saying, I'm not there yet, but I need your help to be better. Help me grow so that by attending the temple, I get closer and 
closer by approximations uh, and then when I struggle um, that's why again with my guys that struggle with pornography and I try to work with bishops to say how fast after they've had a relapse can I get them back to the temple because they need that bolstering they need that strengthening not because they're perfect but because they're not and the Lord is accepting our offerings of imperfect people for ourselves and for the dead yeah because what you say really reminds me for so many experience I, I I really thank thank thee for every time I come here I just feel so so grateful I, I remember that whenever I am able to touch that temporarily saintly of me well, well, you, you had those little moments in the yeah. temple which is like maybe this I is my best me yeah and then when I when I leave the temple I have that memory say yes that's that I can't be like that so yeah I feel that power pushing me to have a desire it's kind of like a uh, get a glimpse of heaven you get a little glimpse of heaven to see the perfect of me. Boy, is that going to be important when we talk about, when we go next week, talking about the mountaintop Curtin, Kirtland experience and then the major crash that happens in the next year. You watch them be in their best them and then they let the world seep into them. Yeah, President? I believe that, uh, no, we can't be perfect. There's no way we can. Yeah. A little naughty story, and I'm going to get trouble for this, but... <laughs> Talking with one of the ordinance workers in President Hall or Elder Holland was in the temple recently. Right, that's what I heard. And he said I was so he said I haven't washed my hand for several days. <laughs> so I asked, you know, not just as I am, I said, Well, how do you do? He said, Well, you made a couple mistakes. So I figured it came. But he still wasn't washing his hands. <laughs> Imagine somebody having to kind of correct him. No, that's okay. He probably had a few things on his mind, yes. Um, no, I, I think that's, that's part of what we're talking about here. And, and for Joseph getting these guys ready was especially so. The, the few months ahead of, we talked uh, last time about the, the washing and anointings that were happening on January 21st. Uh, and that started kind of the season of empowerment. And it's going to go right through to April 3rd. Uh, you get this stretch. But just prior to that, do you know that in December, uh, Joseph got beat up by William, his brother. William, William Smith was kind of like the crazy, the crazy brother. <laughs> he would, he'd be good and then he'd be off and then he'd be good and he'd be off and he got in some kind of, he was mad at Joseph for something and, and jumped on him, was beaten on him and Hiram had to pull him off. And it took a couple of months of Joseph working with William and everything to smooth over all of those feelings so that he wouldn't be impaired in any way being able to go do what he needed to do when, you know, he still had probably some bruises uh, left over from William. Okay? That uh, Sidney Rigdon kept feuding with Edward Partridge over a, a slight about something that was said. Joseph tended to be quick to respond if he felt like he'd been insulted. Uh, and we're going to see some of that next week uh, as they're going to 
church courts because he insulted me. No, he insulted me, you know, and he said this. Well, that wasn't true, you know, and, you know, and so kind of, there's this infighting, and, and we're Missouri. We're the special people. Well, we're the Kirtland people. We got the temple, you know, and if you guys hadn't have done what you did, you'd still be in Jackson County. Well, if you sent us money, we'd have been all right, and, you know, and it's just like, so they have these, the, these infighting going on between these guys, and, and Joseph, it's going to take him the full two months to say bless each other, be nice to each other, pray for each other and they must wash their feet every other day for about you know, all of it is trying to pull it all together. Yeah. So I think what you're describing is I find it happens a lot in my life. Sometimes just before something I'm about to do something good or something good's going to have, there's opposition. Yeah. And after the really high spiritual experience, you come back and there's fighting, or there's contention, or and it seems like it's, I don't know. That's, <laughs> don't you always hesitate a little bit to say, I think I will go to the temple on Friday night. <laughs> How's Wednesday and Thursday going to go? How's Friday morning? It's like, okay, there's a big target on my back. You know, the car's about to break. Something's going to happen. Uh, the, the washing machine's going to break. Something. There will be something because we have this internal sense. That's why, that's why again, we've talked about where um, Brigham in the valley, in Salt Lake Valley says, um, I think we're going to build a temple. And they went, no, 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 don't, let's not build a temple. Bad things happen every time we build temples, you know. And, and, and he says, I know that every time that we announce we're building a temple, that the bells of hell start to ring. And he says, I want to hear them ringing. <laughs> I want to hear them again. And so there is that sense that there's going to be opposition. And the opposition in Kirtland was not just the fact that the Zion had collapsed in Jackson County under the mobs, but also the infighting that was going on among the brethren as to, you know, who's going to be, is, is an apostle better than um, a member of the high council? You know, is, which bishop is better? You know, those, those kind of things. So... Uh, so, part of our own preparation is looking at our own life, I think, and saying, where are we? Where are we in our feelings towards other people? And if we have been hurt, if we're working towards it, if we're trying step by step to make that better, I think that's where we want to be. Does that make sense? Okay. So, here, that, this was their battle. Um... Above all things, clothe yourself, verse 25, with the bond of charity as with a mantle, which is a bond of perfectness and peace. We must be one or the endowment will not happen. That's the problem. Okay? All right. All right. So now we'll... Um, I want to hop back over here to to give you a sense. Um, all right. So now we're going to finally we finally roll all the way to uh, uh, April third or to uh, uh, March 27th. Um, the temple is completed. Uh, the brethren have been doing washing anointings around the, the clock 
washing each other's feet, trying to get ready. They're ready to go. They announce the dedication will be on the 27th. Um, the, for those of you uh, that have been in the Kirtland Temple, you know that it, the, the Kirtland Temple is constructed the same way some of the old churches. Uh, if you've been in the Old North Church in Boston, uh, same, same construction, where instead of having straight pews, they're box pews. So there's a, it's a, you, sit, you can kind of sit in a circle kind of inside each little box which made it nice because there were pulpits at the front and back which means we can sit here and then if somebody's (coughs) speaking there we can come over and sit on this side and go listen to that one and then we can sit back over here and we can go there Uh, which actually made it nice Uh, so on the main floor of the temple it would seat about 700 okay Um, the the dedication was about 9 o'clock uh, people were lining up by seven, uh, and then they just kind of kept coming. And, it, and it, people from the community, from everywhere else, they want to be here, want to be part of this, the endowment of power. Maybe the Savior's going to come in His glory. It'll be like the Nephites and the Savior. We've got to be there. So they're just cramming into this. Um, by uh, nine o'clock, uh, Joseph allows... Uh, for over a thousand uh, to come into the, the main area. So they're not just sitting in these little boxes. They're sitting in the aisleways and they're standing up all over and kids are stacked on top of each other. Uh, and they start this at uh, 9 o'clock. They turn the time over to Sydney, who then talks for two and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> And apparently it was a good talk, but still, two and a half hours with everybody, with a thousand people crammed into this place was probably, oh, 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 and you weren't allowed to get up and go to the bathroom or leave. That was part of the rules of the house. Uh, You're here, you're here for the duration, okay? Well, the dedicatory session took about eight hours. Uh, Sydney talked for two and a half hours on uh, uh, the birds have nests and the squirrels have trees or whatever, but the Savior hath not a place to lay his head. So Sydney was rocking and rolling. Okay. Um, then we get to the sustaining of the quorums. Uh, remember, part of Section 88 had allowed for the fact that there would be uh, quorums. First Presidency Quorum, the High Council in Kirtland, the High Council in Missouri, the Quorum of the Twelve, the Bishoprics, everybody's got the Quorum of the Elders, the Quorum of the Teachers. Everybody's got a quorum and everybody's got a presidency and every presidency has a place. Now, in order to make sure there's a unanimity of feelings, since this is one, this is one of the solemn assemblies, there will be several solemn assemblies in this stretch. There's not just one. This is one. When we, when we sustained President Nelson, how did, in a solemn assembly, how did we sustain him? By quorum. By quorum. And then by group, right? Well, these guys took that to a new degree. <laughs> We're going to start with the first presidency. Okay. Uh, Missouri High Council, how about you there? Rise, okay. Uh, Kirtland High Council, how, we're uh, Quorum of the Twelve. Yep, okay. Uh, the Teachers Quorum, do you sustain the first presidency? Yep, they're up, they're down, okay. And they would, instead of voting with their hands, they would stand up, they would stand down, okay. 
Okay, now let's start with the, with the quorum of the twelve. First presidency, do you sustain the quorum of the twelve? Yep, down. Teacher's quorum, yep, down. High council, yep, down. You know, and it just, this took a couple of hours. <laughs> These guys, up, down, up, down. Because um, they wanted to make sure there was a complete oneness of thought on this. Uh, the, the one rem the, where it reminds me a lot, and we've told this story before, is when uh, President Kimball was ready to announce in 1978 the revelation on the priesthood that it was being extended to all worthy male members. Um, and he had already got from, on Thursday, from the, the um, Quorum of the Twelve, a unan unanimous Unanimity? Yeah, that? They were all saying, we can sustain that. But President Kimball was still nervous about all the 70, all the general leaders. So they were all called to a, a meeting in the assembly hall of the Salt Lake Temple, and they're all there. And President Kimball gets up and reads... Um, to all of the assembled leadership there, here, here's what we want to announce this morning. You know, and they announce it. Sustaining vote. When he saw that he had complete, unanimous support from all of the leadership in front of him. That's when he turns to Elder Tanner and he says, go tell the world. Elder Tanner then has, has a, a quick phone call with, with KSL and said there's a special news thing about to, to come. But he'd alerted them ahead of time. There was probably something coming. Be on alert. But, but President Kimball wasn't going to do it till he knew that he had complete unanimous support from all the leadership. Okay? Again, we're back to that one heart, one mind kind of thing. Okay? All right. So they do sustaining by quorum. Then we get the dedicatory prayer. We do know that uh, Joseph was working on the dedicatory prayer the night before. Oh, in fact, let's do this. Um, now, before we look at the dedicatory prayer, I, I want to I point something out. We've kind of alluded to it before, but I haven't read the quote. It's a talk by President Oaks years ago in conference. It is significant uh, when we partake of the sacrament that we do not witness that we take upon us the name of Jesus Christ. We witness that we are willing to do so. The fact that we only witness to our willingness suggests that something else must happen before we actually take the sacred name upon us in the most important sense. What future event or events could this covenant contemplate? The scripture suggests two sacred possibilities, one concerning the authority of God, especially as exercised in the temples, and the other closely related concerning exaltation in the celestial kingdom. Then he says this, Similarly, in modern revelations, the Lord refers to temples as houses built unto my holy name. In the inspired dedicatory prayer of the Kirtland Temple, the prophet Joseph asked the Lord for a blessing upon thy people, upon whom thy name shall be put in this house. 
So every week when we take the sacrament and we say, we are willing to take upon us the name of thy son, what are we also covenanting to do? Keep all of our Go to the temple. Where we will actually receive the name. Absolutely. We are saying, I will now complete this. I'm willing to do it, but the moment won't actually occur until I step into the temple and I take on the endowment, the gift. And, and from that moment, now I do carry his name. But I'm willing to do it. So I don't know if we always are recognizing that we're saying, I'm willing to go to the temple. I'm willing to complete. I'm willing to receive the gift. I'm willing to receive the endowment. That's what the temple, that's what the sacrament prayer is saying to us every week. That's, I don't know if we always associate that with the temple, but we should, because there it is. Okay? So now, let's now look at that. Uh, section 109. Apparently Joseph was still working on this the day before the dedication too. <laughs> he, was, he was getting some help from uh, Oliver and he was getting some help actually from his scribes. His scribe says he's still putting it together. He's still writing it. Um, so here's the dedicatory prayer and this becomes kind of the... Um, the blueprint, if you will, for all dedicatory prayers going forward. But I, I thought I'd put in yellow, I, started, I tried to pay attention to the times when he's talking about the name. And I think we say it so often that we don't necessarily completely put it together. But thanks be to thy name, O Lord God of Israel, who keepest covenant and shows mercy. Thou hast covenanted with thy servants to build a house to what? To his name. We're building a house to his name. It is his house. It is the house of the Lord. This is his house. This is where he lives. Uh, thou beholdest, O Lord, thy servants have done according to thy commandment. We ask thee, Holy Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, in whose name alone salvation could be administered, uh, to accept this house. Um, for thou knowest that we have done this work. Out of our poverty we have given ourselves to build a house to thy name. So I think it's interesting that all of this comes about, this is a, this is a temple, this is a, built to his name, but the idea is that people that will then come into this name, into this, into the house built to his name, walk out of, at, walk out of the temple with our name, with his name. Okay? And we carry that. We are now in his name. Okay? Um, all right. And it says that on every temple on the outside, holiness to the Lord, the house of the Lord. Yeah, it does. In fact, I've got a, I've got a, a Deseret book. You can get a replica of like the, the doorknobs on the Salt Lake Temple and, and inscribed on the doorknob of the Salt Lake Temple, Holiness to the Lord. It's just the house of the Lord. This is his... And, and we're contemplating a future day and the Revelations talks about that even the, on the bells of the, the sleighs in, in this future city, even the sleigh bells will say, Holiness to the Lord, the house of the Lord. Okay? So it's just this sense of this is about His name and taking on His name. Okay? Now, as part of getting ready for this then, he start, he's, he, he's, 
if it, he's going to go back and he's going to start quoting section 88. This was my blueprint. Yeah, Chris? Well, and having it on the, on the very doorknobs, certainly... Uh, oh, the, the, the incomings? Uh, yeah, isn't that great? I hadn't thought of that one, but I'm in going, and I'll bet it's on the outside doorknob too as you're going out. It says out, holiness. And there's so much connection with the, with the, uh, the, the Hebrew history of it too, with the, you know, all of the timing and the, and the date. And the, when we get to when we get to April third, we're So this is the week before April third is going to be Sunday, and it's going to be Easter, and it's going to be Passover. Okay. All right. So organize yourself, prepare every needful thing. Um, now. The purpose of it, we talked about the fact that uh, part of the purpose of finally getting the, the temple built was so that the people could get an endowment. And if they had an endowment, what would that enable them to do? Redeem Zion. This was still foremost in Joseph's mind. We have to redeem Zion. We are not in Jackson County. We have been cast out. And part of how we will redeem Zion is that the temple must be built, an endowment received, so that we can then go out and gather people that will then help us find a way with this endowment of power to get Jackson County back and we can be back in independence. Okay, that's the, that's, that's the theme running in the background to all of this. Okay, now, in a manner that we may be found worthy in thy sight, to secure fulfillment of the promises. And then, again, in, 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 my, in my copy, I said, okay, what are the promises? And so I started marking that, 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 that. It's this long run-on sentence. That, 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 that. Okay, look at what the promises are. That thy glory may rest down upon thy people and upon this house that we now dedicate to thee, that it may be sanctified and consecrated. Um, did the glory rest upon the temple? Yeah, there were those that witnessed uh, the Shinha. It's, 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 the, it's the, the glory of God coming down upon the, the temple. Which, by the way, Joseph was not there for. <laughs> It's an interesting little piece here. We'll talk about that in just a second. Comes on, comes on March 30th. Um, that the glory may come down the temple. 13. That all people who shall enter into the threshold of the Lord's house shall feel thy power. Um, and I have to tell you, when you step into the threshold of the Kirtland Temple, you do feel it. Big massive door and there's a, the, the lobby area that is kind of supposed to be kind of the outer court, the, the part of it before you actually walk into either the, the downstairs area or even the second one. With, and so there's stairs that come up on each side. But crossing the threshold, I thought about that. I'm coming into, I'm stepping over this threshold into the outer court of the temple. And, I, and boy, I, I felt that. Um, 14. And do thou grant, Holy Father, that all those who worship in this house may be what? Taught out of the best books. In other words, you're supposed to be coming through this temple experience wanting more education. Teach me. Out of the best books. That they may search, seek learning even by study, by faith. I mean, look at you guys. How much church did you have yesterday? <laughs> 
turn around on Monday morning and where are you? <laughs> I'm back at the church again. You know, it's just, I, we want to be taught more. I think that says volumes about who you are. About saying we want to, we're hungry for more learning. We want to know. Okay? That. So, by faith. Now, we're, we're going to come back around here to the comment that was just made here. Because I love this phrase, verse 15. Think about what's being said. And that they may do what? Grow up in thee. <coughs> what does that suggest to your mind when you hear that they may grow up in thee? They're going to mature. They're going to. They're going to mature. Yeah. You're going to learn. I'm going to learn more than what I knew before. I'm going to grow up. Yeah. I picture him holding our hand all the way as yeah. we're learning. Yeah, I'm going to walk you through all of these. And it's a sense, I think, that he, the assumption, again, like we are just talking about, the assumption is, is that we're not perfect. That we're going to grow up surrounded by, nurtured by, fed by the endowment of the Spirit that's going to grow us up to be who He intends us to be. But the assumption is when you first come into the temple, you're not there. You're not there yet. I just want Him to come so to grow up in it, in this. And who He wants us to be is the name. Yes, and to grow, so if we're going to grow up to become, so if, if we're taking on ourselves the name, the idea of growing up is that we are going to become like the name. We're, going, we're not like the Savior, but by coming through the temple on a regular basis, we are growing up so that step by step we become like the name. And if I become enough like the name, I will feel comfortable living with the name in his presence. But I'm not there yet. Yeah. Yeah. And do you know the story? Uh-huh. Why don't you tell us? <laughs> <laughs> At the dedication of the L.A. Temple, uh, President McKay related the story that he had a niece that had gone through the, gone through the temple, literally gone through the temple, the same week that she'd been inducted into her sorority. So she said, I did the sorority induction and I, and I received my endowments in the temple and frankly I was more impressed with my sorority uh, induction than I was the temple. And, and he said, so she was disappointed. And he said, brothers and sisters, sometimes so am I. Then, then, then here's his quote. He says, seen for what it is, uh, the temple is a step-by-step uh, ascent, both ascent growth and ascent agreement. It's a step-by-step -step ascent back into the presence of God. And then he said, few even temple workers really understand and appreciate that. So I think that's, that's a good point. We don't necessarily know that, that it, it's ten, we're supposed to kind of grow up in him. Grow up, and the temple is to be our guide, is to be our path. Okay? So, yeah? Uh, 
What's that scripture that says, you know, when we're resurrected, we will be like him and we shall see him as he is. I, I think yellow ought to include in thee because we're growing up in him. Uh, boy, I think that's, that's true. And we will recognize him because we will be like him. He'll be familiar to us. But growing up means, it is interesting that as we, we look at our own grown kids, look at my grown kids, and as they grow up, they become, they may look like a little bit like us when they're little, but as they grow up, they become, they look a lot like us. And sometimes they even have the mannerisms of us. They have grown up like us. Okay. So, yeah. Another purpose of temple attendance is to teach the house of Israel the laws that will someday govern the earth. So I think of it as sort of a lost home for Israel. And we're growing up in that way by learning those laws. Hang on to that one. Uh, 21. Back to what we were just talking about here. When thy people transgress, any of them, that they may speedily repent and return unto thee. Okay? So, use the, the temple as a chance to, if you, if, you, uh, if you transgress, repent in a hurry and come back. Okay? Now, 22. That thy servants, this is what Elder Oaks was referring to. We ask the Holy Father that thy servants may go forth from this house armed with thy power and that thy name may be upon them and thy glory be round about them and thine angels have charge over them. Okay, that going from here now. 24, we ask Holy Father to establish the people that shall worship and honorably hold a name. Did we just have a microphone? We did, didn't we? I don't know. You check that. Um, this is still good. Check that one there. Uh, and honorably hold a name and a standing in this house to all generations and for eternity. So you just get this, this ongoing sense still of still wanting to be able to hold the name. Yay! Boom! Got it. You awake? Okay, good. All right, and then, uh, and I'll just finish with this. Um, Oh, two other things they were anticipating. Number one, uh, verse 37. And let thy house be filled as with a rushing mighty wind and with glory. Okay? This did not happen at the dedicatory service. It didn't. They finished after eight hours and they went home. Now, some people had seen visions, saw angels come and sitting over here, and some saw angels over here, and some heard the angels singing uh, with the Spirit of God, but... The mighty rushing wind did not occur at the dedicatory session. That solemn assembly was about to occur, but it was still three days away. Okay. Um, then he's going to go on to say, um, well, you can read these. Uh, have, have mercy, 54, upon the nations of the earth. We're going to be sending them out. Uh, uh, we're going to uh, 
58, thy servants, the sons of Jacob, may gather to righteous a holy city. Um, 60, we have spoken these unto thee uh, that uh, thou hast given us who are identified with the Gentiles. But 61, but thou knowest that thou hast a great love for the children of Jacob who have been scattered upon the mountains for a long time in a cloudy and dark day. That's a direct quote from Ezekiel that uh, Israel was scattered. And, and that scattering was like a uh, cloudy and dark day. 62, we ask that thou have mercy upon the children of Jacob that Jerusalem from this hour may be redeemed. Um, and that the children of Judah may return to the lands thou didst give Abraham their father. There was a sense that part of what we are now responsible for doing is not just going out and preaching in Tennessee and you know the South and Boston, but we're also now to be this is now to be an international church and we're gathering Israel wherever we can find it and, and open the door that the Jews can return to Jerusalem to their place. All coming from this temple in this in this space. Okay. Is it not working again? Okay. So we will try and turn it back on. hear it. Did you turn it way down? Chair. Oh, that's the chair? <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. I think it's trying to pair still. You know it's going to come on here in a second. It's going to be boom! Really like that? Nope. Okay. Remaining time, let me speak up. Okay. So, so that, that is the dedicatory prayer. Uh, we could spend a long time on the dedicatory prayer, uh, but again, after eight hours, they finally break and they and they head home. Okay. Now, if you're if you're one of those that has attended, some people have have heard things. Some people have seen things. The vast majority of the people didn't see a savior, didn't see angels, didn't hear voices. Uh, even when they were singing the Spirit of God like a fire is burning, uh, some heard the choir, some didn't. Most walked out of there having had no uh, extraordinary experience at all. How do you think they felt? Yeah, there was a lot of disappointment. We, this was, wait a minute, this was the great endowment moment. And that's what happened. Uh, so there was, there was some, a lot of disappointment here. Okay. Um, Now they will, oh boy, time-wise. They will finish. Uh, let me say this. I think this, is, I think this is worth it. It's actually a picture of the day that they, um, they dedicated the capstone of the Salt Lake Temple. They estimate that there were something like 50,000 people at, Salt, at the dedication of the Salt Lake Temple. Um... um 
We wish the saints to feel when they pronounce this shout. Oh, there's going to be a shout at the end of this. There's going to be a Hosanna shout. Really? Well, here's what we're wishing. When they pronounce the shout, it comes from their hearts. Let your hearts be filled with thanksgiving. When we go to the temple and this shout goes forth, we want every man and woman to shout these words to the very extent of their voice. Our Hosanna shout these days is a little wimpy. It really is. They said, We're gonna, we are going to shout to the very extent of your voice, uh, so that every house in this city may tremble. The people in every portion of this city may hear it, and it may reach the eternal worlds. That's quite a shout. Oh, there you go. Oh, look at you. Thank you. He finally told the congregation that the sacred shout was given in the heavens when the sons of God shouted for joy. That is the Hosanna shout. President Woodruff later told a congregation of saints that the heavenly hosts were in attendance and if the eyes of the congregation could be opened they would have seen Joseph and Hiram, Brigham Young, John Taylor and all the good men who have ever lived in this dispensation assembled as would be Isaiah, Jeremiah and the holy prophets and the apostles who had prophesied to this later work. They were rejoicing with us in this building which had been accepted of the Lord and when the Hosanna shout had reached the throne of the Almighty they too had joined in the joyous shout. I think that was especially true of the Hosanna shout in, in the Kirtland Temple. I think so. That finally there was a temple that had been restored. Um, and you get this sense of this, of this shout. Yeah. So were there people that were there at, at the, yeah, at, this is outside the, Kurt, uh, outside the Salt Lake Temple. Oh, this, at, at the lane of the capstone, this is the lane of the capstone, just the top capstone of the Salt Lake Temple. So there were 50,000, they weren't dedicating the temple, but they did the Hosanna shout just for putting the last stone on top of the Salt Lake Temple. And there were 50,000 people uh, out there. So when they shouted, it was, it was more like, like touchdown time plus, you know, when you got a stadium just kind of erupt. Well, these guys shouted, but they said they're being joined by the hosts of heaven all the way to the throne of God kind of thing. So, uh, I, that's pretty cool. Okay. All right. So, a couple of things I want to get in here before, and we are fast running out of time. Um, on March 29th, this is the day before... March 30th, they're told that there will be a solemn assembly on March 30th. Uh, the brethren come into the, into the house of the Lord um, the day before, on the 29th. Uh, it's intended that this will be the endowment of power. And now it's coming, it's coming on the 30th. They stay all night in the temple. They partake of the sacrament. They wash each other's feet. Uh, they bless each other. They pray. Uh, they, they wrestle with the Spirit all night long from the night of the 29th on to the 30th. Okay? On the morning of the 30th, uh, the, the brethren leadership and everybody start to file in. And, and, the, and the temple's pretty full by the 30th. Um, 
uh, on the morning of the 30th, and then they do the same thing. They partake of the sacrament. Um, uh, by the way, I, I will mention, uh, I mentioned it before, you can see the pulpits, uh, then you see the, the, the last three brethren. What do you see right beneath them? Right there. That is the sacrament table. It hangs down, but when you pull it up, then it has little pegs that Brigham Young had fashioned. Brigham Young built that. Uh, it comes up, and then it's and then they can they can perform the sacrament off of that sacrament table. But anybody recognize the shape of that? It's a yoke. And I love, love, love the symbolism of the sacrament, and I think they should still be constructed this way. I love the symbolism of the sacrament as a yoke, that we are taking on the yoke of the Savior. We are, we are being yoked with Him in this work as we partake of the sacrament. I just think that is, the symbolism behind that is fantastic. Okay? All right, so March 30th, uh, it's now morning. Um, they, they partake of the sacrament. They're blessing each other. Um, and, and then uh, about 1 o'clock, Joseph is pooped. <laughs> he's been up all night. He's been striving with these guys. He's been up, you know, about 24 hours or so. He's really tired. And at 1 o'clock, he says, all right, guys, you're on your own. And he goes home. Everybody else stayed, and they continued in this. Um, but before he leaves, Joseph says this, I then observed to the quorums that I had now completed the organization of the church. And we had passed through all the necessary ceremonies that I'd given them for the instruction they needed. And they were now at liberty after obtaining their licenses to go forth and build up the kingdom of God. Brethren, I am done. You now have the kingdom. It is yours. I will continue to do, be the president and the revelation and stuff. But you have the quorums. You have the structure. You have the charge. You have the endowment. Go get them. Go do your thing. And he was not, because he was not a top-down controlling administrator. He just says, I, I, I teach the brethren correct principles and I let them govern themselves. Go get it done. I'm going home. I'm pooped. <laughs> Uh, in fact, he will become really, really ill in June, and they're afraid he's going to die. He just kind of, I think he's to the point of exhaustion at this point after the last few months. I'm done. But I do think, I saw you guys smiling when he says, uh, we've passed through all the necessary ceremonies that I've given instruction. They're now at liberty to obtain their licenses. He says, I'm done. Anything else? Anything left? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it gives you an idea where he is. It gives you an idea that he don't know what's coming. <laughs> he has no idea what's coming. He just goes, "I'm done. Oh, did it." This is similar to when he turns to to uh, David Whitmer when the Book of Mormon is published, and he goes, "I think I'm done. <laughs> I got the book. They wanted the Book of Mormon published. It's published. Now I can go be a farmer." <laughs> He left the meeting in charge of the twelve and retired about, oh, nine o'clock in the evening. I was wrong. Nine o'clock in the evening. Okay. 
The brethren continued exhorting, prophesying, and speaking in tongues till five in the morning. The Savior during this moment, during that evening, probably somewhere around midnight, the Savior made his appearance to some while angels ministered to others. It was a Pentecost and an endowment indeed long to be remembered. For the sound shall go forth from this place in the world. The occurrence of this day shall be handed down upon the pages of sacred history to all generations as the day of Pentecost. This is Joseph's words about what happened. Um, uh, it is true. We've got... Uh, when I, I heard the... Um, there's a myth, the myth. There's a story that I've heard that I, I've wondered whether it was true or not. And in my research, um, I found two independent. Cindy, you like this? I found two independent sources confirming that the 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 story that you might have heard of of the mother. Uh, who wants to get into this solemn assembly, uh, but she can't find a babysitter for her two-year-old. And she promises Father Smith, who's standing at the, the door there, that the baby will be good. I promise. And he says, I promise in the name of the Lord that the baby will be good and not disrupt the services because most of the kids are being left. So she, so she joins all this. Um, at one point during this experience, uh, there's another Hosanna shout. Uh, and, and in the middle of nursing, the babe throws off the thing and joins in the shout. Oh. So there were those, and again, two different witnesses to that. I wondered if it was true. It appears that it is. So anyway, that kind of Pentecostal moment, when, and, and so that everybody walking out of that says, Wow. There's the endowment. We have received the, the and they hear the rushing of mighty wind and the and the spirit fills the temple. Uh, and again, I think it's just fascinating that Joseph's at home in bed. <laughs> he did it. He he rolled it off to them. They got it. They got it covered. And they have that that experience. Uh, and that they can then walk out the next morning knowing that they that they had then received their endowment. Okay. That's on that's on March thirtieth. Yeah. I have a curious thought: Why Joseph wasn't there? He's tired. Right. Yes, definitely. <laughs> but the church isn't his; it's the Savior's church. There you go. And so he. So maybe by him removing it, they would own it themselves more, right, because it wasn't Joseph's thing; it was their thing. I think that's a great point. Even though Joseph's a wonderful person, it's the Savior's church. Right. Okay, so there were a number of disappointments. Uh, I'm going to skip over this, but I'm just going to plant this thought. What was the difference between those who saw and heard heavenly manifestations and those who didn't? Mm -hmm. Okay, so kind of be thinking about that a little bit. Okay, now, time we got remaining. April 3rd, it is Sunday, it is, uh, they're now holding meetings in there, uh, there are about 700 people there, they're full, they were taking the sacrament, uh, there are sermons going on, and then at a certain point, then, and if you've been in the Kirtland Temple, the, um, the um, pillars in the Kirtland Temple, if you open up a little, 
door on those pillars there is there's cables inside and you can reach in and crank the cable and it lowers the curtains down over the pulpit okay they're built into the pillars it's a very ingenious kind of thing and then again Brigham Young was in in the woodwork and stuff like that was a major part of this and Artemis Millet um, but anyway so they crank it down the curtain comes down over the top couple of pulpits uh, and then and we know this experience and we we talk about this uh, that at that point then uh, Joseph and Oliver go behind the curtain and they're now going to receive um, three uh, the, first of all they will see the Savior we know that uh, and then they're going to see who Moses, okay, and he's going and Moses is going to commit unto them the gathering of Israel. That's the first key, okay. Then comes the second angel, and we're not ex completely sure who this is, which one it is, but this is Elias, the prophet Elias, and Elias is going to return what keys? The Abrahamic covenant. Okay, so um, this is Abraham. So a little bit of mystery on Elias. Okay, but we know this is the the ability to endow them. Okay, then finally the last angel is who? Elijah, and Elijah is now coming on the Passover. It's Easter, and there is Elijah, and he's giving unto them the key of sealing that will be sealed on earth, be sealed in heaven, and that the hearts of the fathers will be turned to the children, the children of the fathers. Okay? Those blessings then come, and they come one right after another. Okay? Now, a couple of interesting things then about this. This is the, this is the transcript of what becomes section 110 of the Doctrine and Covenants. If you think about it, um, when Joseph is receiving most of the revelations, it comes from the Lord in the first person. I, the Lord, say this. Uh, I, the Lord, declare this. It is my will that you do this and this and this and this, okay? There are a couple of times, like in the in the first vision, Joseph is in the grove. Does he have a scribe there that he can say, okay, write this down? There's no scribe. He's got to come out of the grove and later he's got to describe it uh, to somebody. Uh, when we get section 76, when the Savior comes, uh, Sidney Rigdon is there as the scribe, and they're able to say to Sidney, Joseph is able to then transcribe this and dictate it to Sidney. Sidney's writing it down. I, I the Lord, do this, this, and this, and there's section 76. Okay. This vision on April 3rd, Joseph is now going to go home and he's got to give it to a scribe. So it's not, and as it turns out, he doesn't give it to him in the first person. Oops, threw that up. I don't know if you can read this. Uh, the okay, hold on here. 
The veil was, oh boy, that is really, really bad. Tell you what, let's do this. Let's go over to section 110. Probably a better way to do it anyway. Here's, here's, what was, here's what was written into Joseph's journal. The veil was taken from their minds, and the eyes of their understanding were opened. They saw the Lord standing upon the breastwork before them, and under his feet was a pavework of gold. Uh, and and the, the voice of Jehovah saying unto them, I am the first. Okay. In other words, the thing is written in the third person. Um, it won't be changed into the first person. The veil was taken from our minds until 1880, 40 years later. Now, let, let me, in the, in the time we've got remaining, let me tell you why I think that what makes this even more interesting, I think. And it's part of, and, I've, and I spent a lot of time kind of pondering on it uh, this week. Um, the, the reality is this. When, as best we can tell from the contemporary sources and even from the writings of Joseph and Oliver, Joseph and Oliver go behind the veil and they have this incredible experience where the keys are finally restored to the earth. We think that they then walk back around the curtain and they carry on with the meeting and they never say a word to anybody there about what occurred. Joseph goes home, he dictates, he dictates it to Warren Cowdery, and they put it in two places. They put it in his journal entry for April 3rd, 1836, and it is the last journal entry for two years. He has it written into the manuscript history of the church that they are compiling, the history of the church. But when it is published in, when the 1838 version of the history is published in 1842, this vision is not included. The first time that section 110 of the Doctrine and Covenants, the fact that Elijah was actually there and gave keys, the first time that that's ever said in public that we can find record of is, in, is Orson Pratt in 1851. And finally, in 1852, it's finally printed in the Deseret News. And it's not canonized until 1880. What's that? What did you say the original wording was? The original wording was the veil was taken from their minds. The eyes of their understanding were open. Joseph described to Warren Cowdery what had occurred, but didn't speak about it, didn't talk about it, neither did Oliver Cowdery. Nobody said it out loud that Elijah had actually come, and it did not happen in, in Joseph's lifetime. But, fascinating enough that he gets to Nauvoo, because we're going to go from here, we're going to get, uh, he's going to become obsessed about trying to pay for the temple, they're going to be so obsessed about trying to get out of debt that they create the bank, and then the bank is going to fall, the apostasy is going to occur, they're going to head to Missouri, the, uh, Missouri is going to go undergo the war, far west is going to fall, Joseph will end up in liberty, he's going to be there for five stinking months, he's going to finally escape, they're 
going to make his way back over the Mississippi to get to Illinois, and then he's going to finally get upstream, and they're going to settle commerce, um, and then name it Nauvoo, and then they finally have they have enough place to stay. That then at that moment, starting about 1840, here comes the revelation on. Uh, baptism for the dead and from that point on for the next four years the last four years of his life he can't stop talking about Elijah and the power that is there in sealing the hearts of the children to the fathers but he will never say in Nauvoo that Elijah came to visit me yes there's several reasons for that and I've read a number of treatises on people saying how come this wasn't published why, why was it not out there and there are several reasons for it and I think that's one of them that he intended whatever happened between him and Elijah and Moses I think Joseph walked out of that with a sense that said this is not something we talk about out loud this is something that will need to be done in a temple but not this temple or not this temple without being majorly modified because it will be part of a larger endowment thing and I think he was receiving instructions and it was so sacred that this is not something we're going to talk about outside of the temple setting and so he keeps that to himself these are all keys now uh, he will say he will preach it privately to uh, the brethren, Brigham Young knew about it, Orson Pratt knew about it, uh, W.W. Phelps knew about it, uh, but they weren't preaching about it either. This was so sacred, and we don't yet have a sacred place in which we can reveal what happened behind the veil. Wow. And I don't think they knew what exactly all that happened behind the veil until the Nauvoo Temple was completed enough that they could do the endowment and start to bring forth the things uh, that they learned in that veil experience. But the fact that it's given third person tells me that there was a long interview there, that there was things taught and things learned, that Joseph walks out of there and I think his head is spinning. And it's like we've just gone through all this experience and my world just jumped ahead exponentially and I got a headache because <laughs> I don't because we got a lot more to do I am not done because the gathering of Israel what he and I'll finish with this what Joseph I think walks out, out from behind that veil realizing that they have been talking all along about the gathering of Israel what he didn't realize and what he had not yet entered that much into his heart was that the gathering of Israel would take place on both sides of the veil. That, he would, that this work coming from Kirtland would not just be on this earth, but it would be on both sides of the veil. It would be international in scope and it was far greater and far grander than he could comprehend. And certainly, certainly he wasn't going to walk out to those 700 people and say, oh my gosh, <laughs> let me tell you no, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> I have no way to describe to you the work that is remaining for us, for the eternities on both sides of the veil, and for all of our kindred dead. I just don't, I don't think he was in a place yet to hear that, and certainly they weren't ready to hear it. Yeah, Chris. When did he tell the brothers, I think it was in school of the Father, probably before this, the church... Yeah, right. Brethren, you don't have any idea. And they didn't. And he hadn't told them. But the closest we get to all of this, and I'll finish with this, 
February 1844. He's got just a few months to live and he knows it. And he calls the brethren in before he sends them off to the, the East Coast and, and some to, Brit, to Britain to get them out of Dodge because he can feel the thing coming. He wants to get the apostles gone. And he, and he spends all this time washing feet, giving endowments, uh, all those kind of things to these brethren. And then he says, Now I have rolled off of my shoulders onto your shoulders the kingdom, and I have given you all the keys. And he will say, I've given you all the keys. I think the brethren knew at that point, if they didn't know, that he had received all these keys. But they weren't talking about it either. And it wouldn't be for another five years before Orson Pratt would finally say what happened. And they finally then published the, the thing. So, anyway, that's a lot. Yes? I just would like to make sure that people that got the email from the church... Um, recently understand what what an amazing thing this is you have to kind of do some searching but there is literally an outline to study the Old Testament I mean it's for families and they also have it for primary for Sunday school the Book of Mormon I mean a week by week schedule yeah, for everybody. Well, yeah, we're about to really, we're shifting gears. And, 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 and I think we need to see that. And, 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 and that's why I say, I think Joseph kept saying, we're good here. Oh, wait, there's more. Oh, wait, there's more. And so he kept kind of limiting, oh, wait, there's more. And, and I think we just have to be prepared within us to be able to go, oh, wait, there's more. And be okay with that. But you have to dig a little bit. You do. I keep thinking as you're talking about Joseph Smith about many, many years later, and I don't remember the prophet who who was able to see into the heavens, and he ran into Joseph Smith. Yeah. Wanted to talk to him, and he says, "I can't talk right now. Finally, I'm a bit busy. Talk. Busy. Yeah. He says, I'm too busy. So I mean, his his work continued. After that, yeah. I'm sure he's still. Yeah, he's still going. <laughs> okay, so uh, um, I just think there's that there's so much more here. That's the sense that I get. There's so much more here than we have, um, and it's and and again, I, my testimony just grows with leaps and bounds about these wonderful people just doing the best they could, but the limits they had to their knowledge and their 19th century minds that couldn't comprehend everything that was going forward. The Lord is just having them grow up in thee. And I, and I would extend that to us. And I would leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Our Father in Heaven, we're grateful at this time to 